Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Compliance Guy. As always, I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while as I get to spend some time with some special guests. Joining me today on our studio podcast is uh, Josh LeBeau, who is a litigator with Brennan, Mana, and Diamond, and one of his partners, Amanda Wesh, uh, healthcare extraordinaire, attorney extraordinaire, um, or I, healthcare extraordinaire, healthcare expert extraordinaire. Um, so, uh, again, welcome to both of you to the program. Thanks for uh, spending some time uh, talking about this really interesting issue that has popped up in the state of Florida. Uh, while this podcast may not be relevant to everyone right now in all 50 states, I can tell you if Florida has pushed this through with a governor uh, like Ron DeSantis, it is possible that this is coming to a state where you live pretty soon. And I don't consider this, at least I don't consider this to be a politically driven issue. Uh, I could be wrong, uh, but I don't think it is. Um, so what we're going to talk about today on this podcast is uh, the recent bill uh, from March 24th of 2023 that was uh, signed by Governor, Gon, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, which is HB 837. Uh, and again, this is a wide sweeping tort reform bill that basically is going to overhaul Florida's litigation landscape. And I think it's important for everybody to keep in mind that this litigation has a slew of effects on the judicial system and is of particular relevance to lawsuits against insurers and personal injury cases. So without me stealing too much thunder uh, from Amanda and Josh, uh, Amanda, why don't you go ahead from a civil and administrative standpoint and let's talk about what HB 837 is, what it does, and why people not only in the state of Florida need to be concerned with it, but why people in other states have to be concerned. And then Josh, we'll, we'll talk about it from a litigation strategy standpoint as well. Thanks, Sean. So you are correct. I would not call this so much a political move, but really, you know, a, a move by insurance companies, right? This is a, this was a lobbying effort by insurance companies for major tort reform in the state of Florida. And I do want to start by saying I, I am not a personal injury attorney, uh, either on the plaintiff side or defense side. I am a healthcare attorney. And I, at first, I, I didn't really know how this would impact my clients um, with respect to the work that I do for them. But then I got to thinking and I got to talking with Josh and talking with you, Sean. And I thought, gosh, this is really going to impact my clients beyond just how they're impacted by this legislation and this tort reform 
um, it's going to it's going to impact their operations um, and, and how they respond to litigation. And I'm in the middle of, of a piece of litigation now um, where I've had to move a lot more quickly um, to assist my client, get them to where they need to be. So House Bill uh, 837 is tremendous tort reform uh, for the state of Florida. Um, it, uh, it, it largely affects um, personal injury, negligence cases, um, especially, you know, think about those cases that are paid for on a contingency fee basis, where we have an injured plaintiff that is, um, you know, seeking, seeking damages uh, for some kind of injury to, to them. Uh, it, it reduces uh, the statute of limitations from four years to two years. It puts caps on uh, attorney fees. There um, is also some pre-suit requirements. Um, there's also caps on expert fees. And so from a healthcare perspective, if we're talking about medical negligence, um, a lot of my clients, like I said, I don't do personal injury or malpractice, but my clients that service expert witnesses or maybe take cases um, through a letter of protection, um, if they're doing PIP, personal injury protection cases, um, it caps the amount that they can be paid uh, on those cases, and it makes it harder for them to get payment in the event of a settlement or, or a judgment. So uh, it is wide sweeping and it affects um, all different aspects of, of the litigation arena. Um, and that's just kind of just a, a broad general overview. And I'll let my partner, Josh, um, talk about uh, how it, it may have affected other key stakeholders as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and Josh, you know, as a litigator, you know, you you come at this thing from a strategic standpoint, right? Um, whether you're on the plaintiff side or you're on the defense side, um, and it, it's really interesting to see how so many people have run, you know, to social media and to the news outlets after this was pushed out. Um, you know, and signed into law, I should say. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of that as we go on, but I want to get your thoughts as a litigator on, you know, what does this mean to you and how does this change the strategic mindset that you go into arguing these cases on behalf of your clients? Sure. So first off, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, Sean. I guess it's my, uh, my debut on your uh, channel here. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so it, it definitely uh, changes the landscape some as far as strategy is concerned. I, uh, I am a litigator, but I'm a business law litigator. I don't do any personal injury work either, not, neither on the defense or the plaintiff side. So you would wonder, well, what the heck do you care about this thing? What, why does that matter to you? Um, but it really does affect strategy um, as it relates to insurance. Um, because so many of the business law cases as well, um, there are insurance implications in so many of them. Um, you know, this tort reform bill is really one of the hidden sweet spots for the insurance companies in lobbying for this is the protections that they obtained against bad faith claims, right? The bad, the bad faith protections that they were able to um, uh, insert into this bill and derive from this particular bill is going to have sweeping effects on how business litigators handle their cases. Um, because 
now the requirement to put insurance companies on notice and give them the appropriate time frame before you can bring a bad faith claim has really been set in stone. Whereas before it was kind of willy-nilly, how long did you have to give an insurance company notice ahead of time to bring a first-party claim or a third-party claim, right? And a first-party claim, that's the insured itself. A third-party claim would be someone who would otherwise benefit for from the insurance. Now you've got to give them 90 days notice and you've got to submit the information um, that they can reasonably take a look at before you could argue a, a bad faith claim. Um, the other key thing is, as we all know, insurance companies are not in the business of paying out claims. Uh, they're in the business of you know protecting their stakeholders, right? And by doing that, it's to their benefit to delay paying the claims. Um, this really gives uh, insurance companies a good opportunity to delay paying these claims a little bit further out. And the most, I would say, sweeping part of this bill that really affects the strategy and going forward was in the past, you would bring a bad faith claim. And one of the keys that you would obtain is you would get what was called one-way legal fees, right? One-way attorney's fees, where if you were able to demonstrate that the insurance company you know, improperly denied coverage, then not only were you entitled to your um, ultimate damages, right, that, that should have been paid, but you're also entitled to the legal fees in pursuing that. Well, that has been severely gutted and restricted. There's only one very narrow manner in which you can get your legal fees now. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the cost of litigation is so expensive that oftentimes the amount of legal fees eclipses the underlying amount of damages, so insurance companies really do have a better position from which to determine whether or not they want to deny coverage. You know, and those are those are all fair and those are all great points. And for those of you listening, you know, when when and you may be thinking to yourself, Sean, you know, shouldn't you you shouldn't you have brought on personal injury attorneys or those who are directly tied to this? No. And, and let me share with you the reason why, because this bill not only impacts, you know, healthcare, um, you know, and personal injury cases, these types of cases, you know, there are no shortage of people outside the healthcare industry who have weighed in significantly on what's going on with HB 837. And, you know, some of them uh, come from pretty prestigious minds um and and i'm going to keep their names out of this for now but you know um one of them actually said you know hb 837 is pro-business anti-consumer this is an anti-consumer bill calling it tort reform is a complete misnomer so i'll stop there for a moment well let me give you the next sentence because i want to get both of your thoughts on this so i'll, I'll read the full quote HB 837 is a pro-business, anti-consumer bill. Calling it tort reform is a complete misnomer. Hopefully, when consumers learn what their legislators have done to them, they will begin to vote for legislators that will protect them. What do you think about that, uh, Amanda or Josh? I'll open the floor to both of you. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that statement. Like I said, it, this was pushed by the insurance companies um, to protect the insurance companies, insulate them from uh, big settlements, insulate them from the bad faith claims, and limit what they pay attorneys and experts in the cases and service providers. So um, not only does it impact the consumer, um, which would be the time, it's also going to impact those that that assist with cases. So um, in, in the world that I live, if I've got physicians and surgery centers that are taking LOP cases, they're at risk for non-payment. They're at risk for significant uh, cuts to to their payments and what they have traditionally been paid. Um, and so those those cases are not as lucrative as they were. Um, and I think that we will see them maybe not take these cases at all. Um, and so I, I think that that gets the ball rolling of you may a plaintiff may have a case, but to build a case, you have to get an attorney who's willing to take the case. You've got to get experts for that case. And then so it, it's just um, it's a compounding um, uh, of, of problems on a, on a potential case. And again, I don't. You know, I'm not practicing in that world, but it's definitely affecting my clients that may assist yes. um, with that process. <clears throat> and you and I share clients, uh, right. as a matter of fact, that deal with LOPs all the time in the state of Florida. And they were already facing some issues, right? That's so right. prior to this, prior to 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 this uh, uh, House Bill 837, they were already facing some bad uh, case or some negative case law, I guess. Um, that was limiting the fees that they could get for certain cases, particularly with Medicare patients. Um, if they had not opted out of Medicare, there was a there was a question as to whether they could get paid more than the than what the Medicare fee schedule would allow. And so we were consider, you know, we were asking them to consider as a business decision: Do you really want to continue to take these cases? And now my advice is really think about how you take these cases. You know, whether right. you really want to take these cases and mess around with it. Um, and, and a lot of times, unfortunately, these cases were supplementing their practice, right? We know that, yeah. that Florida has terrible, terrible rates, yep. right? Um, you know, very, very limited Medicaid expansion, um, terrible Medicaid rates, uh, so uh, terrible commercial rates. Um, and so this was a supplement to their to their practice, unfortunately. Uh, and this is just another blow to, to healthcare providers. Josh, let me let me give you another quote and let me see what you think about this one. Okay. The notion that any of this protects the little guy is offensive. This legislation is cowtowing to the insurance industry at its worst. Where is the proof that insurance rates are going? Where is the proof that insurance rates are going up because of purportedly out of control verdicts? Yeah. So, uh, look, it, if if you're in the insurance business, this is a fantastic bill for you, right? Um, I I don't know that you're necessarily going to go out there and find the quote little guy who's necessarily benefited by this insurance legislation, right? That said, uh, or conversely, I I don't know that unless you're in the insurance business that you're going to go out there and that you're going to find too many businesses 
that really are going to benefit significantly from this. Now, I say that with the caveat that there are some additional protections where if there is a negligent security type case, um, that, that there's some additional protections. However, just your standard business where you have liability insurance or, or some type of insurance, um, you're now going to not have as many um, carrots and sticks for your insurance carrier to turn around and remit payment if there's a claim made. Their, their, their ability to delay that and ultimately to deny a claim, but then later down the road end up having to pay the claim, but not have to pay for the legal fees in going after the insurance company really puts the insurance company at, at an advantage that um, the prior law otherwise didn't give them, right? In the past, you were able to um, threaten the insurance company with not only are you going to have to pay my couple hundred thousand dollar claim, but I'm also going to hit you with legal fees in pursuing this for your wrongful denial of it. The ability to get those legal fees now is so limited, you have to file a separate action um, and go through it under that particular set of circumstances. It's just added um, hurdle after hurdle for these businesses. So uh, what we're encouraging our business clients to do is frankly, make sure that you've developed a good relationship with a good reputable insurance company um, in order to increase your chances that at the end of the day, the insurance company isn't going to just be denying these claims with the knowledge that um, if they do have to pay, they're just able to delay the amount that they get to pay and enjoy the time value of money that they're otherwise you know, enjoying as an insurance company. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess if I had an opportunity to talk to Governor DeSantis, you know, my question to him would be, you know, if you're really trying to protect the policyholders here, you know, have you asked the carriers in your state to freeze premium costs for a period of time? That's what I would want to know. But, you know, odds are I won't get a chance to ask him that question. So I'll just kind of pose it here. But you know, what's been really interesting is that it appears the attorneys at Morgan & Morgan uh, no longer wish to be Mr. Nice Guy. And again, you know, I, I don't like to ask attorneys to opine on the going on uh, of other organizations, especially those that you may have some kind of a working relationship with where they may have come out and done something that is maybe not questionable but it's it's definitely throwing gas on the fire uh to put it mildly it's the same thing as asking you know physicians to testify against other physicians in 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 cases right uh you know you're always going to have your hired guns but you know morgan and morgan um put out a very interesting internal email that came from matt morgan as well as the coo um Reuven Moskowitz, and it basically was their manifesto, if you will. It was, hey, this is how we are going to create a new policy for dealing with defendants in the insurance industry. And for our listeners, if you haven't seen this, this is actually really quite interesting. So if you'll, if you'll entertain me for just a short moment, uh, Josh and Amanda, I want to read 
some of this and get your take. So it says, excuse me, good morning, PI lawyers across the country. As we enter this new era, I want to make it unequivocally clear that we will not be giving an inch to carriers ever again. Not one inch. Specifically, as a matter of policy, we will not be granting any extension of any sort moving forward for any reason. They can figure it out or file a motion. Under no circumstances will we be agreeing to any continuances, discovery extensions, or requests to extend deadline to answer complaints. Red line rules. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is a pretty... Uh, this is this is a red line in the sand, right? This is a definitive line in the sand. Now, I think it's important to note that there was a clarification that came out after this where they said, hey, you know, we still have standards of conduct that we have to uh, comply with or uh, something, you know, along those lines. So, Josh, let me ask you, since you're a litigator, if if you saw in an email like this coming out saying we are not giving an inch ever again no more continuances on on discovery no more continuances uh or extensions uh you know for deadlines or to answer complaints i mean what would your response to that be you know i i i am glad that they came out with a subsequent clarifying memo i i will say that i i think that that uh, and I don't know how clarifying it was, but 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 I'm glad that they at least tried to walk that back a little bit. Um, look, in in litigation, we all experience needs for extensions and you know courtesies like that. Um, I don't know that it benefits Morgan and Morgan or any other PI firm, and more importantly, their clients to take that type of a hardline position. Uh, certainly no court is going to appreciate unnecessary motions for extensions of time um, based on your um, feelings being hurt that this insurance bill went through, right? There, there's different ways to go about litigating. Um, and I, I fully expect my friends on the plaintiff side of the PI world to um, continue to adhere to the rules of professionalism and to indeed take those words as uh, hopefully just a, a little bit of fodder right following a difficult situation for the personal injury lawyers. But from the judiciary standpoint, being slammed with so many additional cases that came in just under the deadline um, you know, none of the um, former colleagues, all, all judges in Florida are former lawyers, you need to remember that. And so they're not going to take kindly to um, this no extension approach, um, no cooperativeness approach. Um, that, that's basically cutting off your nose to spite your face as far as I'm concerned. I kind of feel like it was a bit of a marketing thing as well, because, sure. again, you know, uh, for those of you that know Morgan and Morgan, and they're obviously a, a, a very well-known firm uh, across the United States, you know, they never miss an opportunity to throw their tagline into something, you know, 
uh, you know, we are for the people, by the people, or whatever that may be. Um, look, I, I, I think, I think, obviously, H, you know, House Bill eight thirty seven has created some problems for attorneys um, in the PI uh, space, and you know, whether whether this was a well thought out um, email that was sent out or not. Uh, I think there's some serious concern and I think legitimate concern uh, that attorneys have with what this bill really does and what it doesn't do and how it was portrayed, you know, to, you know, to, to everybody in the state of Florida. So um, obviously this is a very narrow discussion right because we're talking about a specific state a specific tort reform bill if you will um as it's been touted amanda what would you give as the takeaways to our listeners um especially those in the state of florida who deal with a lot of lop i know you kind of broached that already but you know what would be your takeaway message and then josh i'll come to you for the same takeaway message as well well Six months ago, I as we started to see these cases erode uh, the fees that were due to physicians that were that were taking LOP cases, letter, letters of protection. Uh, I was encouraging them take a look from a business perspective. Does this make sense? Right? Can you afford to possibly have these fees not be paid, or possibly have these fees be paid at Medicare rates when when maybe you could have billed Medicare? <laughs> to begin with and not had, you know, a delay of payment. So that was my mantra six, six months ago, right? Now, when this came out, uh, I would say, okay, guys, we guys and gals, we, we really need to look at the business decision of, are you going to take these LOP cases? And are you going to um, look at these cases to see if, you know, because some, ex- some physicians, they get a case to look at is this one we even want to take to trial is this one that or is this one that we even want to file a complaint on um and then if it goes forward then they then they get you know paid uh for that work um again there's there's limitations on that um and and on the amount that they can get paid so you know i'm telling my clients really evaluate whether you want to be in this business and whether it makes sense so then the morgan and morgan email comes out and I'm sitting there reading my ABA journal as I do every Friday morning with my cup of coffee. And I'm like, oh, you know, when you send an internal email, sometimes it can get leaked. And then I started thinking, oh, man, this is this could be if if plaintiff's counsel really takes this position. uh, Our clients could really be impacted. And so, you know, Josh spoke about business owners need to really think about the broker that they're working with, the insurance company that they're working with, because they're limited in, in, in leverage um, to getting them to really be a partner. Well, if, if my client gets hit with, with a complaint, we only have 20 days. And if it's a claim that's going to be covered by insurance, you've got to notify your carrier. Sometimes you got to go to your broker first, who notifies your carrier, who then assigns counsel, who then has to look into it, who then has to, you know, and when you only have 20 calendar days, that's not a whole lot of time. And 
so so I got to thinking, well, this could be a real operational concern uh, for my clients. So the key takeaway, in addition to, are you going to do these cases, right? Key takeaway for every single business out there is look at your policy and workflow for accepting subpoenas and complaints and make sure you have a point of contact. Make sure you have a process. Make sure you know what you're doing because you only have 20 days. And if if these PI attorneys are going to take the strategy and if the insurance companies aren't going to play nice in the sandbox with you, you have to be your own advocate and you have to really understand uh, what your process needs to be to protect your interests. So that was my key takeaway as, as a non- <laughs> as a a non uh, a non litigator that represents business owners. Yeah, no, I listen, it it all made perfect sense and I think, you know, the listeners are probably doing the same thing as they're listening to this that I was doing, which was nodding my head in agreement because I mean, it's it's common sense. It 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 makes perfect sense. Yep. Um Josh, same question to you. You know, what would be your takeaway message uh to our listeners? Yeah, so I, I, I think the key takeaway to your listeners, specifically the business owners, is if you are, by some unfortunate set of circumstance, embroiled in litigation, um, make sure that you and your attorneys sit down and create a insurance strategy, right? As as a component of the litigation, that this is something that. Um, sometimes gets overlooked and um, not necessarily focused on, but the insurance strategy um, landscape has changed some. Um, your documentation that you're going to need to demonstrate in order to bring a bad faith claim has changed. Your timing for which you're able to bring this bad faith claim has changed. Whether or not you fall into the narrow category where you can still attempt to recover your legal fees for a denial of coverage has changed. So these are discussions that um, folks should have with their counsel as they at the beginning of the suit, right? And even pre-suit, if you're able to, you're able to bring together some of this information and put the insurance carrier on notice pre-suit, but what you have to give them beforehand has changed. So that would be the key takeaway is begin the documentation, begin that conversation and have a purposeful strategy as it relates to how do we keep the pressure on the insurance company to come in and not delay payment of this particular claim so that I have to go, like Amanda said, I only have 20 days to respond to a complaint so that I don't have to go hire private counsel and then on the back end, beg the insurance company to pay pay my private counsel, inevitably a rate that will be higher than the insurance defense rates. Um, So start planning ahead early um, on these types of matters as soon as you think that a potential dispute is out there. Good litigation slash insurance strategy together. Sound advice. All right, so that's going to bring us to the end of this podcast on House Bill 837, the bill that was signed on March 24th, 2023 into law by Governor Ron DeSantis in the great state of Florida. I want to thank my two 
friends, Amanda Wesh and Josh LeBeau from Brennan, Men and Diamond for sitting down and helping to bring some clarity and some key strategies and takeaways to this podcast for each and every single one of you. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new coding and compliance roundtable. So until then, remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.